0: And a warm welcome to The Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. The gospel message is the good news of God's grace. So I guess it's pretty important to know what grace is and how we constantly seek to get a better view of what grace does and how it, how it works in our life. And it's so important that we understand that. And I'm so glad to have Dr. Peter Hill back with us. He's a professor of psychology at Rosemead School of Psychology at Biola University in California. And I've had him on before, and I just enjoyed his teaching so much that I thought, please come back and talk to us about grace. Peter, welcome back. Thank you. It's an honor to be back. Well, I really enjoy our last conversation, and this topic of grace, really, when it comes down to it, a lot of people will say, yeah, let me see, how would I define grace? What exactly is grace, you know, specifically divine grace, and what does it all involve?
1: Well, I, I think most of us are probably familiar with uh, the, the idea that grace somehow involves unmerited favor, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, in many ways, that's at the heart of what divine grace uh, certainly is, but I think that doesn't, just in itself, doesn't really capture the the richness of the concept, and so if we kind of just have a working definition, and I'm, I'm going to suggest one here, uh, that that grace is the gift of acceptance given unconditionally and voluntarily to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Okay, so now the middle part of that is is kind of getting at that unmerited favor. Mm-hmm. Okay, that it's con- unconditionally, voluntarily uh, to an undeserving person. But there's also in that definition. Uh, the, the term a gift of acceptance, and I'm going to come back to that term a little bit in our discussion later today, I think, but, but it, it is a gift, first of all. Grace is a gift, and secondly, it involves some form of acceptance. Now, right now, that's acceptance by God, but I think it's even more complex than that, uh, but also notice that I said it's by an unobligated giver, now, a lot of times, you know, we, we enter into human relationships where uh, we do things for each other. And we might even sometimes say, oh, that person was gracious, or that person displayed grace. But oftentimes, um, it, it it hints at, at an obligation that, that's there. In other words, there's sometimes social expectations concerning how uh, the giver and the recipient should, should normally act, and this would just be, be standard uh, things in, in uh, human relationships, neighbor relationships, doing a favor for a neighbor, and so forth. But <clears throat> it's suggested that there's a certain degree of obligation that we have as neighbors, whereas if we're really talking about divine grace, there's absolutely no obligation that, that God holds uh In fact, in some ways, it's more than just simply being unobligated. it's almost being anti obligated uh in that there's a complete discharge of social obligations so I think that's one of the distinctive things about about divine grace that there is really no reason why God had to provide uh grace to us
0: all right Peter that's an interesting start now i'm I'm trying to think as hard as I can on processing this because. Uh, you've given a very interesting definition and divine grace. And when you said that there is no obligation, would you say more about that? Because that's where I got a little confused.
1: Well, okay, that uh, sometimes in in human relationships, when we think about just doing something for each other, uh, sometimes we we do feel obligated, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get into an idea that's behind this a little bit later. But we we establish often our our relationships with each other with sort of a a model of equity in mind. I agree. And I'll give you a, a real quick example. When when I was growing up, I was kind of this you know wise uh, guy teenager, and I used to laugh at my parents because my parents and the neighbor. Both of them had large backyards and they liked to grow gardens and uh, vegetable gardens. And there was always seems to be a race between who could provide a gift to the neighbor uh, for with the, the first time in, in the growing season. And I used to kind of make fun of my parents. Well, Mr. Mize, he, he you know, provided the the, the, the garden uh, gift first this year but you're going to go ahead and just return it, so it was kind of neutral. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and that's the sense of obligation that most of us carry. We were just invited, my wife and I, over for dinner to a friend's house the other night. We're probably going to want to reciprocate that sure. at some point. Um, God doesn't doesn't have that metric. He, that, that's not that's not in the cards for God, I don't think, uh, because simply we can't repay. So that's what I mean by the fact that it's an unobligated giver when we're talking about divine grace.
0: We have no bargaining chip, right? We have nothing he wants. No, we really don't.
1: That's right. That's well put.
0: Okay. All right. Why is grace so important, Dr. Peter Hill? Well, I think
1: it's important because we have to understand why God wants to offer this free gift. And, um, I think more than anything great uh, from, from God's perspective, at least as it's uh, portrayed to us in the writings of the Apostle Paul, uh, that grace is intended to build relationship. And that's what God wants from us. It is the experiential nature of this relationship that provides a much more thorough and rich Pleasure that we should be having in in uh, uh, apprehending grace and in grasping what and there's something good and beautiful about that divine grace that's being offered, but we're not going to you know it's it's going to be more than just uh, some form of knowledge or some it, it's more than a concept. As a matter of fact, my, my friend, Mark McMinn, I think I quoted him last time I was on your show. I, I read other people besides Mark, but uh, he he had a very interesting statement back around uh, 2008 in, in a book that he wrote about grace. And he said, somewhere along the journey of being raised evangelical and then staying in the evangelical church as an adult, I picked up a view of sin and grace that was quite forensic in nature. That is... Sins are a violation of God's moral will, and grace is God's decision to forgive our sins through the life and work of Jesus. Now, he says, I still hold to this view, but I'm gaining a new uh, appreciation for the relational context of the Christian story. It's not that God comes up with some arbitrary rules and then rewards or punishes us based on our compliance. Rather, God's relational and created us to be relational. The power of God's love is the most remarkable part of the Christian narrative. So I think once we, you know, going back to Philip Yancey back uh, a couple of decades ago, and what's so amazing about grace, once we experience it more fully, we will, with clenched (laughs) fists, want to hold on to it very tightly. And when we do hold on to grace, we make significant steps towards becoming the uh, the fully actualized person that God intends us to be.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess as Dr. Peter Hill, obviously, if you just joined us, you don't know what we're talking about, but it's a critical topic, central feature of Christianity, and that is grace. And because you had mentioned something, Peter, just now, the difference—what be- is the difference? Do you see between obedience and compliance?
1: Obedience is is where I think uh, you uh, have an, an authority who is saying that you must do something, and therefore your motivation is to simply uh, obey that authority. Uh, compliance tends to be where that authority asks you to do something, and you do it, but you're doing it because it's it's in the form of a question more or. Uh, a request i guess would be uh, the better way to to identify it so um uh, in some ways you know uh, god G- god is not making us to accept grace uh god is asking us to accept his his grace uh so i would say it's more in the form of a compliance versus an obedience
0: mhm all right um psychologists colleagues of yours who study religious experience uh, do they focus much on the concept of grace
1: no and, and that's been surprising because i mean grace is such a central concept at least uh in in to uh, to christians and since most of the uh research that's been done by psychologists who study religion has focused on christians uh in part because most of the researchers are here in in the west and uh uh, most of them uh, are, are more familiar with Christianity, not that they necessarily abide in the faith, but at least they're more familiar with it. So you would think, oh, with this being such a central concept that that this would have been discovered by psychologists of religion, and, and, and it's not. Um, quite honestly, uh, I, I I'm not sure why, except that I think it doesn't fit well with a lot of their conceptions or their their theoretical models uh, for studying religion. So if you talk about rituals, if you talk about different uh, uh, religious practices, if you talk about certain beliefs that we have, uh, th- those are topics that psychologists are, are pretty comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But the concept of grace, and of course we can't study divine grace, not as psychologists, we can't study divine grace directly. All we can study is people's perceptions of divine grace and how it works in their lives. So um, I think the door has been open, and, and I was fortunate enough to, along with a couple other colleagues, to, um, uh, to co-author a paper. And we were able, surprisingly, uh, to get it accepted in a mainstream psychological journal, on on uh, the notion of divine grace and perceptions wow. of divine grace. So that was uh, that was uh, as, as I said, it was surprising to us. We thought, well, we'll toss it out there, but we don't think it'll get accepted. But it
0: did. Wow! Congratulations. All right. Yeah, thank uh, you. We're going to take a little break, Peter. About eight and a half minutes ago, you dropped this little tease. You said gift of acceptance, and I want to get to that when we come back from the break. Dr. Peter Hill is my guest. We're talking about grace, and don't you love that topic? I Can't get enough of talking about grace. We'll be right back. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app in your app store today. I'm back with Dr. Peter Hill. We're talking about grace today. So, Peter, uh, in the first segment, you had said the gift gift of acceptance when you were giving us a definition of grace, but you kind of left it at that. So I'm going to ask you now to maybe say more about the a gift of acceptance.
1: Sure. Um, <clears throat> you know, by stressing the relational nature of, of grace, um the gift of acceptance is a gift by god of accepting us uh, and accepting all of who we are including our our sin our our shortcomings as as humans but it's also because it's relational it, it, it there there has to be a a dialectic that's involved here and um, That means that there has to be the notion of uh, that we are willing to accept, and that's also a gift. Uh, And that's, of course, going to be sometimes difficult for us to do, and I hope we can get to that before the the end of the hour. But I have been very much influenced by uh, the theologian John Barclay, and he has uh, talked about about grace as, as a gift. He has a book out, and I don't—actually, I right here during the break, I tried to put my hands on it to give you the exact title, and I can't find it, so I apologize for that. But um, he—and it's not an easy read by any stretch of the imagination, but I want to sum up a few things that he has to say about this, this gift of acceptance. He tried to understand why it was that what Paul's message was— so um, so counterintuitive to to the Jewish culture in which he was in which he was writing, and and, and living, and uh, Barclay identified. So he looked at in the, in the Jewish culture, really, what how how are gifts uh, conceptualized and thought about, and he came up with about. Oh, six or seven, I'm going to only mention about four or five of the different things that that Barclay came up with based upon his study. One thing that he found was the lavishness of the gift uh, uh, is, is very important. In fact, he calls all of this a perfecting grace, and by that he means... We, how we use the word sometimes uh, like the perfect storm. It's, it's these things that kind of come together that create a perfect storm, or maybe it's uh, some very annoying person. We call them the perfect pain that we, that we have in our social relationships. What is it that one brought, when it brings together is, is the extreme uh, of the concept. And so he says, one thing is the lavishness of the gift. Well, that applies quite well to to the lavishness of God's gift to us through giving of his son uh, and and sacrificing his son. Uh, Actually, Barclay calls this the notion of superabundance. And then uh, another thing that Barclay talked about was the timing of the gift. In other words, is it prioritized? Uh, And yet this is yet another perfection of grace. It's It's that the giver of the grace takes the initiative in the giving process Mm. and so is under no obligation due to previous circumstances. It's just that the recipients, only the beneficiary, and did nothing to influence the process. Uh, Another one, one I think is really very important, is what what Barclay refers to as the efficacy of this. And, you know, efficacy, that's just kind of a fancy term that does grace have its intended effect? And uh, uh, in Jewish culture, uh, when you gave a gift, it was supposed to have some sort of meaning uh, behind it. Uh, And of course, with the uh, gift of, of God's Son, it leads to redemption and restoration of a desired relationship with humanity. Then there's also the notion of circularity, or in the case of divine grace, non circularity. In other words, With humans, as I pointed out uh, earlier with my uh, example of my parents and the next door neighbor, there's often this give and take. Uh, There's often this this sense of obligation. It's sort of a a social uh, norm that we want to uh, respond favorably to being given something. And so we want to give something back. It's that notion of equity and social relationships. That's not uh, available. That's not our option, as we pointed out earlier. And so it's a non-circular type of relationship uh, that's there. And then uh, all most of these things kind of fit with Paul's notion of, of uh, divine grace, but there was one that really didn't fit. And this is what makes it stand out, makes divine grace stand out from, from grace that humans might, might have. And that is that it's not given in accordance with the goodness of the recipient. In other words, uh, in, in uh, Jewish culture, the beneficiary had to be deserving of that grace, of that gift. And in contrast, the Christian conception of divine grace, as promised by Paul, was that the goodness of the recipient had nothing to do with God's grace. So he referred to this. Barclay referred to this as in the incongruity of grace, uh, and he feels that that's was highlighted by Paul, and that's what distinguishes God's grace from all other perfecting graces better than anything else. Mm-hmm. Doctor, so that's um, that's the notion that that there's this uh, uh, gift of acceptance uh, that that we uh, just simply have to uh especially that note that last part that we talked about here uh this incongruity uh-huh. that we just have to take that live with it <laughs> and uh, uh, and accept that that that's just going to be something that we don't have to we, we cannot repay and we don't have to and we should actually take some pleasure in that
0: mm-hmm uh-huh. Dr. Peter Hill is my guest. We're talking about grace. Now, Peter, when I think of this Jewish tradition where you're hoping that the gift has an intended effect on the person receiving the gift, is that where we got that idea from Jewish tradition? Because I think to this day we still give gifts that are designed to have an intended effect on whoever we're giving it to.
1: Well, I don't know if it originated with Jewish tradition, but it was certainly in place uh, okay. when, when Paul was writing. And so uh, the, the culture at that time, and it wasn't only the Jewish tradition, but it was also apparently a tradition that folks in, in other uh, uh, parts of the world where, where Paul was doing his mission work, uh, that they understood that to be the case. I think that's pretty much built into human nature. Yeah. Uh, that that when we when we want to do something for somebody, we we want it to have some sort of intended effect. We have a reason. Okay. For usually uh, d- uh, being gracious unto others.
0: And I would agree completely. So, Peter, how, how does this line up with a biblical understanding of grace?
1: Well again the biblical understanding of grace is is rooted in and first of all in why God uh has given and made this a priority in in uh his relationship and it's the desire for fallible human beings to be able to respond to a holy and perfect and sovereign god and um and, and so if if it was Anything else, if there was some sort of metric that was being used, if some sort of score was being kept, we would all be losers. Uh uh, we just simply cannot keep up with a, uh, with a holy God. But that's not what God intended. God wants us to be in relationship with him, and he he has this, this uh uh out of out of his superabundance. This uh, and this, this uh, motivation to to maintain relationship with this creation, so it it fits I think right in. Now there's all sorts of, of problems that a lot of people have <laughs> about this. Sometimes we want to earn that, mm-hmm. and maybe uh, m- maybe we we can get into this topic of uh, merit uh, uh, and why it is so tempting to say, well, can't we just simply earn this? Why can't we do something that justifies? Uh, God's grace, and uh, that's a complex topic. I, I don't know if we have time before the break to get into that one or not.
0: Well, we don't have time uh, before the break to get into it, but maybe just a little bit of a tease, and we'll pick it up on the other side.
1: Okay. Well, certainly, um, there's this concept that uh, we'll talk about—that's uh, the belief in a just world—and uh, uh, most people that what what what's at the foundation of that belief is that uh, people get what they deserve, okay? Mm. And uh, that's quite contrary (laughs) to the notion of divine grace. We're not getting what we deserve. Uh, And so let's talk about why that's such a a powerful uh, uh, concept that, that people seem to naturally gravitate toward.
0: I think that's awesome. Dr. Peter Hill is my guest. He's a professor of psychology at Rosemead School of Psychology at Biola University, in Southern California. We're talking about grace today. If you heard anything that you need more clarification on, or maybe a question for Peter, text it over 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back with Dr. Peter Hill. Grace, and specifically divine grace, that's what we're talking about today, with Dr. Peter Hill. He's a psychology professor at Rosemead School of Psychology, which is at Biola University in La Mirinda, California. And uh, Peter, right before the break, you you know, you made some comment about people think, well, wouldn't it just be better if I could just earn it? So maybe we can get to the question of merit.
1: Sure. Yeah, that's... uh... That's so central to uh, the way that we establish so much of our relationship. I mentioned this concept of belief in a just world that people uh, get what 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 we what we think they deserve, whether that be something good or something bad, uh, and that's just so so foundational. That's something that psychologists have studied for decades, uh, and uh, some of that is is based upon. Um, our, our desire to have some sense of of control, not in a in a negative sort of way, but more of a cognitive control in understanding the world, and so um, this whole notion of divine grace and that that it's just not something based upon merit is is in some ways uh, just confuses some folks, I think, uh, and and it's just hard for them. To understand it, and for that matter, to accept it. So earlier, I I talked about different ways in which uh, the the Jewish culture in particular understood gifts and gift giving. And one of those was this notion of of efficacy, that there should be, you know, some, some intended influence of the gift. And I think that's central to also divine grace, that God again, has an intention behind uh, the, the, this gift of acceptance, that despite all of our failings, despite the fact that we cannot possibly live up to the kind of holy and perfect life on our own, that God offers this as, as a gift to us. And our job is simply to to accept it and not to think that we can somehow uh, earn it. So, uh, uh Tulian Chavindran, who has written about this, and in his book in 2013 on One Way Love, he gave the example, he went to the biblical example of Zacchaeus. And, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with the story of Zacchaeus, but I hadn't really thought it through just how powerful, how transforming the power of grace was in that Luke 19 biblical account. What's overlooked in the story by most of us is the fact that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector for Rome, which meant that he was not only despised by the Jewish authorities as a traitor working for Rome, but also that he was extremely rich from ill-gotten taxes, including skimming money from some of the other tax collectors under his authority. So Tullian uh, uh, Chavindian, I always have trouble pronouncing his name, Uh, said, you know, in some ways, Zacchaeus was the Bernie Madoff of his day. And you might remember who Bernie Madoff was. He was the man who, uh, by the way, died in 2021, who built $65 billion from his client, and was sentenced to 250 years in, in prison. And Zacchaeus was that type of individual, maybe not to that extreme, I don't know. Yet Christ insisted on visiting Zacchaeus in his house. And Zacchaeus was incredibly transformed to the point that he said, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restored fourfold. So this was a guy that wasn't caught and was in a plea bargain. Uh, He was uh, uh, somebody who was transformed by by the, the grace of God, by the grace of Christ. Uh, I have another contemporary example of this. Um, Some folks uh, of your listeners might be familiar with the name Everett Worthington. Everett Worthington is uh, a fine Christian uh, professor of psychology at Virginia Commonwealth. He recently retired, but he uh, is a, a leading authority on the topic of forgiveness And incidentally, forgiveness was a topic 30 years ago that psychologists hadn't thought anything about, but it took a Christian to bring it into the mainstream of psychology. And today there's just loads of of research done on forgiveness. Well, Ev, in his uh, early days of studying forgiveness and really promoting it, had an incredible experience. He got a phone call on January one. Uh, about 1995 or so. And he was told that his mother was murdered the night before. Today, Ev goes and visits that young man in jail uh, and spends time with him and has actually befriended him. And that's a transforming power of of grace. That's about, that's one of the best examples I can think of uh, on a human to human level.
0: Mm, That's so powerful. Yeah, we're talking about forgiveness and we're having Forgiveness Day in the month of June and that's a story I would love to focus on because that is a story that most people say, I don't know how to wrap my head around that. How does does a person come to that place where they visit the person who murders their mother and somehow befriends them of all things?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing story.
0: Yeah. Um, So Peter, can you see the difference between Uh, grace and mercy. And I'm thinking of a a particular scene in a particular movie. Um, And I remember talking to someone about it and it was the movie Les Miserables. And it's the confrontation between the bishop and Jean Valjean. And of course he is dragged back by police after stealing his uh, candlesticks and his silverware and knocking them out. And he walks in and, and the bishop says, Jean Valjean, I'm so mad at you. You forgot the candlestick. <laughs> and he puts the candlestick in the bag and the police are befuddled. And and he said, well, no, no, no. He's, I gave them. I gave them these things. And I'm glad he came back because he forgot something. And you're now yeah. free to release him. And the police take off the handcuffs and walk out. And the bishop says to him, I've given you your life back. Go do something yes. with it. And I was saying that's probably one of the most beautiful occasions of grace. And the friend I was talking to said, no, that was mercy he was showing, not grace.
1: Well, it is hard to distinguish between the two. I think mercy is uh, something that we can show to people, but that they have the ability to perhaps do something in response. Uh, and we give them that opportunity. Uh Grace. I mean, our, the only thing we can do with grace is accept it, uh, and and there isn't that opportunity that we can somehow pay back. Uh, so maybe that's uh, what what your friend was was making more reference to that there still was an opportunity for uh, uh, a, a paying back in in this example that you're referring to.
0: Mm-hmm. But when you talk about the transforming power. Of grace, uh, some of these stories and these examples are so powerful. And I I think we all look for indications in our own life. Have I been transformed by the power of grace? Do I show that kind of forgiveness? Do I show that kind of love and patience with other people?
1: Yeah, and I think so often our tendency is to think about, well, grace is a license. You know, it's a license. Well, okay, I don't do very well in something, but God uh, will, will display his grace to me and, and forgive me of that. And yes, that that's true, but that should not be our motivating factor. Uh, it should be. Is there something? Do, do we really take pleasure in in grace? Is it something that is going to further develop us into the kind of person that's honoring to God, uh, and and, uh, and and allow grace simply to to take over in that in that sense? And that's quite different than this notion that well, I can get away with something because God is a, is a gracious God.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Peter, when we talk about grace and specifically divine grace, what caliber of grace can we offer other people? I don't know if that's a a question you understand, but if God is offering us this divine grace, what can we turn around and offer someone else?
1: Well, you know, a, a common thing is, first of all, to let people know why we're doing this and that we too value relationships on a horizontal level, just as, as God has displayed it to us on a vertical level. And so we want to, to model, to, to have Christ and, and, and God's grace towards us be a model for uh, our grace towards human beings now it's there's a different dynamic that's going on because so many of those things that we talked about, like especially circularity, um, you know, so, so often there's this notion that there's kind of a catch between it. Uh, you know, it's sort of like the the the, the salesperson who's giving his client uh, tickets to the ball game. Uh, well, there's there's usually a catch that's that's there, and so it's often difficult for people to really fully experience the grace that we might want to show and but I think we have to be real careful to make sure that, that we don't have some sort of expectation for that person to to display grace back to us we want to make sure that we're especially not doing this in a in a manner that that takes advantage of anybody particularly people who are in less privileged positions so a boss has to be very careful with an employee, for example, in, in offering grace because uh it could be understood that there's going to be some form of repayment that has to has to take place.
0: Mm-hmm. Peter, ever since we started this uh discussion today, I've had the song Amazing Grace in my head. <laughs> yeah. What what is so amazing about Grace? Uh, the idea that God,
1: in his humility, uh, in the humility of Christ, to obey what, what God's plan was here, uh, and to offer that unconditional, uh, voluntary grace to us. And Unless we have a, an understanding of, our, of sin in our lives, uh, we, we, don't, we won't fully comprehend what's so amazing about grace. You know, it's the Israelites. I've been reading uh, in, in Kings, and that, oh, that's a depressing. Those two books are depressing, First and Second Kings. But now I'm just getting into Ezra, and it's how the people disobeyed and did not honor God, and yet eventually God brought them back. He gave them their homeland back. And that's the, the the whole notion of being an exile, I think, is, is this notion of being away from God, out of relationship with God. You're away from where you should be. You're away from your home. That's what's so amazing about grace. He wants to bring us home.
0: Mm, so good. All right, Peter, let me take a little break. Dr. Peter Hill is my guest as we're discussing grace. If you have any questions or comments, something you heard you'd like... Peter, to say more about, text it over, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. When we come back, I want to ask him why it is so hard to accept God's grace. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. If you just climbed in your car, I hope you had a great day. Dr. Peter Hill is my guest. We're talking about grace, God's grace. And I've been uh, enjoying the discussion. If you missed any of it, I always encourage you to go hear the podcast because it's all there at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, Peter, let's ask the big question. Why Why is it so hard to accept God's grace?
1: You know, I've heard a lot of terms that have been used about grace. Um counterintuitive, radical, scandalous. And I think all of this suggests that there must be some impediments uh, to fully uh, apprehending and experiencing God's grace. I think a couple of them that I've already mentioned, uh, this belief in a just world, uh, somehow we sort of live with this this metric in, in the back of our minds, maybe implicitly, that somehow we have to to get just what we deserve and and we don't deserve uh much uh as as uh fallen individuals and so there might be some folks who just say i'm not worthy uh i am not uh not worth uh there's so much shame in my life and a, a related concept to that i think is this notion that when we talked about efficacy uh I think so often when we when we talk about well what are the fruits we often define those in in human terms and yet it seems like grace is saying no God is saying define it by my terms and my terms are accept it live in it take pleasure in it and uh, uh, try to live up to it but that's not. The the uh, the standard that I'm going to uh, pull it away from you if you don't if you don't meet that standard, and I think that's very difficult. Uh, God certainly desires us to have change uh, and uh, that we uh, are transformed, as we talked about it. But I think it's it's poor to think that God somehow God needs uh, our sense of indebtedness uh, to to Him. That somehow our sense of indebtedness has to be repaid. Again, God may desire such results, but I think it's poor theology, and I say this as a non theologian, to say that an an infinitely resourced God needs uh, us uh, to repay. And so, with regards to efficacy, even though it may be that God desires us, uh, desires for us to live a life full of grace and truth. Exactly what that means and and how it's impacted by human standards of what it means to measure up, I think we can become confused very quickly. Mm -hmm. I know I have it from time to time likely developed false standards of what holiness means that really runs contrary to God's notion of, of grace we can, you know, I think that sometimes gets into some of the seeds of, of legalism that some folks really struggle with. So I think that's one one thing. Uh, another reason I think is this uh, notion that I've already mentioned as well, and that is that we we really do try to establish uh, a sense of equity in our social relationships. Now, in, in social relationships, uh, sometimes there's inequity that's, that's built into the structure of the relationship, for instance, a boss and an employee uh, or a teacher and a student, uh, that one has more authority or more privilege or whatever, however you want to think about it, than, than the other person does. But even then, so for instance, a boss, uh, if, if there's the tradition of gift giving, for instance, at, at Christmas time, it might be expected that the boss should be providing a, a, a nicer gift to the employee uh, who doesn't at all receive uh, nearly the compensation that the boss does. Well, so that's that's a sense of equity, once again, that's built into the relationship. And to have this kind of disparity that we have with God of who God is and what God has done and God's love and God's perfection Compared to us as sinners, it's just simply impossible to, to maintain any sense of, of the notion of equity in the relationship. But people want that equity. And so I think at times, you know, I I've got to, I've got to pay back. I've got to 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 give God something because God has done so much for me. That's keeping the individual, I believe, from fully experiencing God's grace, divine grace.
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Peter Hill is my guest. Peter, what you know, what are some important implications of God's grace in terms of, let's say, how we live our lives?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I recently had a conversation with a 20-something individual, not a student of mine, uh, somebody who attends the church I attend, and she's really doubting whether or not, uh, she's doubting her salvation, basically. And um, one of the things that I just simply wanted to tell her, and, and I did say it, but I, I wanted to uh, say it gently, and that is, relax. <laughs> you know, uh, The fact that you are struggling with this is a good sign. It's a sign that, 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 that uh, God is working uh, in your life. And, but she was so shame-based based upon her doubts, based upon some of her behaviors that she was involved in, that um, that she just couldn't see that. And I think that's where a lot of people s- uh, struggle. Uh, and, and sometimes in human relationships, when we run across that, it was so tempting to say, well, why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? Uh, try this. And what I think was really the message that she needed to hear was God's grace is much greater than all of our sin. And, and she, I, I don't know if she heard that message or not, but that's the message that I hope she was going to
0: hear. Mm-hmm. When I think of grace and the, in, in the immeasurable spiritual riches that we receive and how grace helps us in every one of our needs, um it it really is something i could sit and think about a lot every day.
1: Yeah, yeah, and i like the word i like the fact that you use the word immeasurable there because you know everything that we're that we've talked about almost deals with measurement. Uh how <laughs> how we measure so much of uh, how we live our lives. Yeah. And yet we're talking about something that's immeasurable,
0: yeah. But Peter, if if I think about grace in, in my life, I know grace comforts me. I know grace encourages me. And I know for a fact that grace strengthens me. Yes.
1: It does. It does all of those things. I yeah. mean, there should be nothing that you should take greater pleasure in right? than, than, than God's grace,
0: yeah. And one day uh, God's... Uh, grace will justify me before a holy god
1: that's right that's right and and welcomes you uh, yes. into the, into that you know very intimate relationship that we have now eternity starts now <laughs> but it goes on and it and it's even uh, more uh more wonderful uh, as time goes by
0: you yeah, you often hear christians talk about um any success they might have in their personal life or their or their ministry, or if you congratulate them on something, they're quick to say, you know, that was the grace of God that was in me, uh, Mm -hmm. that was able to do that. And they quickly want to deflect any kind of attention from themselves onto the grace of God. I think Paul did that as well. He was always quick to point out the grace of God that was within him. And, you know, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So that gift of grace is greater than any sin we're ever going to have in our life. And that abundant gift of grace is something that's new every morning, grace and mercy.
1: Yes. Yes. Right. Uh, I do think that uh, uh, just that the, the constant reminder that we have to make uh, to provide uh, to ourselves uh, and every morning uh, just to not glibly uh, thank the Lord uh, that, He has saved us, that he has uh, given us new life, Mm -hmm. Uh, but to really sit and ponder about that. And I think more than anything else, there's a certain humility that God had to have uh, in all of this process to reach down and say, I want you, my creation, to have that kind of relationship with me.
0: Mm. I'm so reminded that the gift of grace is free to to me, but it was not free to Jesus. That's for sure.
1: No, that's that's a good point. Yeah. Yes.
0: But the, the the beautiful gift of salvation, the, that grace that comes with that, is such an extravagant gift. And thinking about it almost brings me to tears. Yeah. Super abundance. Yeah. I love that. Too. Yeah. 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 Well, Peter, such an interesting discussion. I love talking about grace. And I'm always reminded that, Uh, grace is there's no shortage of grace it comes pouring out of heaven for us and it's a magnificent thing yes very much so well thank you for spending time with uh, my listeners today and coming back on the show it's been a delight having you
1: I appreciate it and uh, really
0: appreciate what uh, the ministry that you have there thank you Peter I appreciate you saying that have a great rest of the night You too. All right. That is pretty much our show for the day. I want to uh, thank Dr. Peter Hill for talking to us about grace. And Dr. Bob Muller today talked to us about narcissism. And I don't know, that was an outstanding show. Both hours were great. And if you just tuned in, I would really recommend you heading over to the podcast at myfaithradio.com. There's an afternoon with Bill show page. And that That podcast will be posted probably in the next couple of hours, so you can catch it later tonight if you missed any of it. And it was uh, great spending time with you. Thank you so much for uh, listening to the show and supporting Faith Radio. It means the world to me um, and all of us here at Faith Radio. On behalf of Rosie, we just want to say thank you again. Have a great night, and happy B-Day, MGS. I'll see you tomorrow.